0: Let me invite you to take your copy now of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. You're getting used to this by now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let's hear now God's Word. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, that you've caused it to be written down and preserved through all these ages. For the good of your church, we pray and ask now that you would make it effective by the work of Your Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder what would you say if somebody asked you what what is the central concern or what is a central concern of the Bible? This morning in our class we said, well, there, there are a couple things that the Bible is principally teaching. We learn... Uh, what we are to believe about God, and what duty God requires of man. So there's a couple things that the Bible teaches us. But I want you to think, maybe on a different scale, there's a grand drama that's being worked out. Some of you like to read novels, I'm sure. And you know that a good novel is one that has a plot line. And it really grabs you at the beginning and it builds to a climax. And there's a resolution. What's the plot of Scripture? What's the antagonist and the protagonist? I would suggest to you that the central concern of the Bible is righteousness. Actually, I might state that a little differently. The central concern of the Bible is a lack of righteousness. If men were righteous, think of this. If men were righteous, then the Bible would not exist as we have it today. If Adam had not fallen, then the words that are written down would not exist as we have them today. Now, I believe that we would still have a Bible. I believe that part of eternity will be us writing down all the manifold ways that we can ascribe praise and glory to the Lord and sharing those with one another. And singing together. But the Bible does exist. Therefore, we must conclude that men are not righteous Mankind is broken. Do you see that? This very fact is evidenced by our various wars, strife, animosity. Man is set against man. In fact, we look for ways to define ourselves so that we further the division and the strife of the human race. We're not satisfied with Babylon and the division of the languages. we need more ways to divide ourselves so that we can find more ways to be angry with one another. The wicked cherishes anger, Elihu said to Job. Many in the media, they look at such things and they use words like senseless. You've seen that. That was a senseless act of Violence or a random act of violence. To call these things senseless is accurate, don't you think? But it doesn't go deep enough. You see, the, our news media, they can't define the heart of it. These things are senseless because they are lawless. They are senseless because they are sinful and because they violate God's holy law. They demonstrate to us over and over again that mankind is broken. Man is a senseless creature because he is a desperately sinful and sick creature. But God is not desperately sick. God is gracious and kind and in His kindness He has determined to change us, to change certain of us and to give us a a hint, a sign, a mark that a change has taken place so that we become less and less senseless and more and more wise. And we learn from this beatitude this morning that those who desire righteousness have this mark. Those who desire righteousness, listen to me, as the very essence of life will have it given to them. The first thing that we should learn from this is that Christianity is a religion of righteousness. God is a righteous one. What does that mean? Uh, It is a law term. We understand this fundamentally. Righteousness is a law term. It means that you are in line with the law. What the law says to do, you do that. You are righteous in the eyes of the law. God, therefore, is one who is utterly righteous. Righteous, he is the law giver. He is the one from whom all the law proceeds. It's not outside of him; it is a revelation of his very character. And so, the opposite of who God is is to be lawless. We refer sometimes to the devil as the lawless one. Righteousness. Therefore, is conformity to the claims of a higher authority. As I said earlier, righteousness is a central concern of the Bible. Think of this, how the plot line of the Bible develops. Adam sinned. And as a result of Adam's sin, God threw him out of the garden. And aren't you left at Genesis chapter 3 wondering to yourself, can this be fixed? How, how is God going to overcome the unrighteousness of Adam? Is mankind completely doomed? And so we walk chapter by chapter. We get to chapter 5 and we say, oh, this is bad. He died and he died and he died and he died and he died. They all died. Where's the hope? And we get to Genesis chapter 6 and we find that God describes a man by the name of Noah. And he said, Noah was a righteous man. And did you ever wonder yourself what made him any different than any of the others? How did he avoid the plague of unrighteousness? And we think, well, God judged the world. Surely, unrighteousness is out now. God has cleansed it. it everything's gone. He's, he's washed it out. He's wrung it out. God, there's Noah and his sons, surely they're righteous, and then we find out the very next thing that one of his sons sinned. How is there still unrighteousness? This is the plot line of Scripture. How will a man be reconciled to a holy and a just God? He, He can't just throw it away. He can't just forget it. You've been in a courtroom, perhaps, or watched it on TV, and you think about a judge who says, Oh, we'll just let's just forget about all this. Is that our just judge? No. He is an unjust judge. So after the fall, we wonder if a man may return. This is the central question we read in in Job chapter 9. How can a man be made righteous? Or Psalm chapter 15, Psalm 15. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will go up to His holy mountain? Who can go up there? All of us, we're seated at the bottom and we recognize none of us can go to the top. This was the whole picture of Sinai, wasn't it? Moses, you can come but nobody else. In fact, if you touch the mountain, you will die. righteousness friends is like a porcelain doll my sister collected porcelain dolls as a girl and if a porcelain doll gets broken you can't fix it oh you can glue it sure and then you see the little cracks the seam that runs through the face it's damaged it's no good the value is gone once righteousness is gone it cannot be made whole God can't just sweep it under the rug. But then, we get to Genesis 15. And a little bit of the veil, a little bit of the the mystery is revealed. R.C. Sproul said his favorite chapter in the Bible was was Genesis 15. You know why? Because in verse 6, we read that Abraham trusted God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You see, we, we, start, we see a little bit the, the, the veil begins to be lifted. How is a man made righteous? Is it by his works? No, because men have worked and worked and worked and worked and they're all still sinful. But Abraham is declared righteousness not because of his work, but on the basis of faith. The gracious act of God, listen to me, is that He declares you to be righteous through faith. How does He do that? How can He declare me to be righteous for doing nothing? Just for exercising faith. Because He credits your account with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He gives you the righteousness of Christ. The picture is, is often given to us of, of um, Jacob as he approached his father Isaac. You remember how he clothed himself, himself in the skin of an animal so that he would smell like Esau. When When you come to Christ in faith, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have washed your robe clean because you wear His robe and the standing that He has before His Father, you enjoy. And God declares you to be righteous. And so our first consideration this morning has to be this. Have you acknowledged your sin before God? And since you have sinned specifically, have you confessed specific sins to Him and asked Him for specific forgiveness? Have you sought His gracious forgiveness? Have you done that? Are you doing that? Have you been acknowledged before God, our great Judge, that you have no hope apart from Christ? Have you asked Him to clothe you in the righteousness of the blessed Savior, Jesus Christ? This must be our first consideration as we think about righteousness this morning. If you have not done that, God invites you to do so. We call this doctrine the doctrine of justification. It is not a real righteousness. We're not really righteous. God's not looking at us and saying, well, you know what? You're you're a little bit better than the rest of the people in the church. I'll give you some credit. Our justification is a legal declaration. You are righteous because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But notice in this beatitude. The beatitude is indicates a people who go on pursuing it. Who go on pursuing righteousness. And so secondly, this morning, Christians recognize an ongoing need for righteousness. Those who are, listen to this, those who are born again are implanted with a hunger. You are implanted with a yearning. It is a yearning To walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Walk in conformity to His law. You are thankful. Lord, thank You for Your forgiveness. Thank You that You have credited to my account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But a real believer, one who is born again, has an inner hunger to be righteous. To walk in conformity with God's law. This beatitude considers the believer's perspective of himself then. I know that I am born again if I recognize I have a lack of righteousness. Not that I'm boasting in myself, but I know I have no boast apart from Christ. So consider this. That the initial work of the Holy Spirit is to awaken your heart to your need of righteousness the true believer recognizes a lack of personal righteousness and he's not satisfied with that much of our contemporary theology says oh don't worry about it is grace is there to cover it and that's true and God is a forgiving God But that is not to be used by us as a reason to live sinful and licentious lives. This is exactly what Israel did. Oh, we have the temple. And they turned the grace of God into a means of living in rebellion against Him. Christ indicates that those who belong to Him are those who find that righteousness is as essential to their lives as food and drink. When I, was, when I was a young man, I played soccer, and I can tell you the story behind that communist kickball, I know in some of your eyes. I spent hours... After practice, shooting, dribbling, doing all that I could to prepare to be a better soccer player. I focused all of my effort on it. That's why I'm so skinny today. I ate, I drank, and I slept soccer. I remember back when catalogs were in fashion. I'd get the Eurosport catalog and I'd go through and circling all the equipment that I had to have to be a better soccer player. This is a little picture of what it's like in a transformed life. The believer eats and sleeps and drinks. How can I live in conformity to the law of God? In Christ, this desire is transferred to holiness. Do you see? All that other stuff pales. I still like soccer, but it pales in comparison to holiness. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I do not know of a better test that anyone could apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If, listen, if this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. This doesn't mean that we lay aside our other responsibilities. We're not going back to the medieval age and fleeing into the country and clothing ourselves with camel hair and saying, I want to get out of society because society makes me sin. Instead, we seek to be righteous. Listen, righteous in everything that God has given us to do. I want to be a godly soccer player. I don't quit playing sports unless it's on the Sabbath but I seek to be the best player I can be, losing well and winning well to the glory of Christ. As an employee, you model the Beatitudes in your life. You applaud others when they excel. You are reliable. You give a day's work for a day's pay. You are not the troublemaker, the gossip, the lazy one. Brothers and sisters, if you are born again, God calls upon you to cultivate a hunger for righteousness. Romans 12. Do not be conformed. That is a command. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. James chapter 2. You say you have faith, but faith without works is dead faith. Allow me to read to you from 1 John chapter 3 verses 7 to 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he that is Christ is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And the conclusion then is how can you walk in them and profess faith? Good parents like to introduce new foods to their children and they spit them out, try it again, But if you settle just on the things that your kids like, then oftentimes you're not feeding them healthy things. And as good Christians, as those who walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom lives the Holy Spirit, we seek to cultivate. You have a responsibility before Christ to cultivate a hunger for righteousness. Let me give you some simple things to consider. A very simple one. Are you honoring the Lord's Sabbath? Do you know that in the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, the sign of faithfulness to God was honoring the Sabbath day? Setting aside all of your works and allowing others to do the same? And giving God the whole day? Are you using this day, this day that God has called sacred, for your spiritual nourishment. Are you making the ministries of the church a priority? Is it a priority for you to attend worship whenever it occurs? To be at prayer meetings, Sunday school. Why? Because I want to be fed. I live on this. This is my bread. Are you cultivating a rich devotional life through prayer and Bible reading? Do you read good books that help you to understand God's Word? Do you read our confessional standards, the Westminster Catechisms? They're given to you for nourishment to enable you to commune with God and grow in righteousness and maturity. These are simple steps that you ought to take to cultivate a hunger for righteousness. Thirdly, lastly, Christians will have their desire for righteousness satisfied. There is in this passage a future reality. You see that. They will be satisfied. This is a reference to something that is to come. Now, n- note, it is not purely future. Christians enjoy in this life a measure of this righteousness. Jesus says, through John, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. The presence of the desire, though, points to a future satisfaction. I want you to have that comfort. This is not saying to you the perfection of righteousness, is it? But what is there? What must be there is a desire. Do you desire it? How essential is the desire to your life? Do you think about it? Meditate upon it? Dwell upon it? Give yourself to it. The renovation of the world to come is the complete removal of our unrighteousness. This is a future thing, but not completely future. I want you to notice one other thing. This is a received benefit. This is a passive verb. You are not righteous because you attain to it. You are righteous because it is given to you. Christians are blessed because God gives them righteousness. You see, this is the picture. One who is craving after this, yearning after it, making it his life's work to pursue it day in and day out. At the end of the day when Christ appears and we are made perfect, we finally have that thing which we have been yearning for. Listen to me. And it isn't status. We crave righteousness. Why? Because we know that the righteous commune with God. And whatever God requires for me to live with Him, that is the thing I want. Righteousness is a means to an end. It is the core storyline of the Scripture. Christ died both to save you by giving you His righteousness and to mature you in righteousness. Let me ask you one question. We often look upon men like Stephen Curry and Michael Jordan and we say, look how hard this guy worked. He he shot a thousand free throws after practice. We say, what an admirable thing But if a Christian minister stands in the pulpit and says, you must do this, all of a sudden he's a legalist. This is not legalism, my friends. This is walking in conformity to the law of God as Jesus calls you to do. And those born again will find that this is their heart's desire. You find joy in it. Not to attain God's good favor, but because of it. The truly redeemed of the Lord know it because they yearn for real righteousness. If you are not cultivating it, I urge you today, by the grace of the Lord, to repent. If you are, but are frustrated with your own growth and maturity, if you are frustrated, you say, I have done these things and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere, Your assurance, Christ's assurance to you, is not that you have attained to any form of righteousness in this life, but that you desire it. That is the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit. Take comfort in His work. Let's pray. Father, The honest among us, self included, will confess to you in this moment that we desire righteousness, but that desire should be strengthened. Help us, Father. Cause us to desire righteousness more than we do, help us to hate evil doing evil, thinking about evil, to put the desire for evil to death, to to find out our actions, to look down in the depths of our heart, not just to be satisfied pruning the evil weeds in our garden, but to actually go down and root them up. Not just to kill bad actions and bad attitudes, but to find out where they live in our hearts and get them out. Let us be a people who yearn for true righteousness, true holiness. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.